Welcome to Living Heritage, a show about people who are engaged in the heritage and culture sector, all those who keep heritage alive at the community level. I'm Natalie Dignam. Today I'm in the studio with Andy Irvine. Andy is a world music pioneer and an icon for traditional music and musicians. He's one of the great Irish singers and has been hailed as a tradition in himself. Over his 50-year career, Andy has been part of a number of bands, including Sweeney's Men in the mid-60s, Blankstein in the 70s, and a duo with Paul Brady in the late 70s, as well as Patrick Street, Mosaic, LAPD, and Usher's Island. Although an integral part of the finest Irish bands of our time, Andy Irvine continues along the path he set for himself so long ago. A vibrant career as a solo artist in the old style, a teller of tales, and a maker of music. Uh, welcome to the show, Andy. Thank you, Natalie. Very nice to be here. Uh, so, uh, you're here playing at the Newfoundland Folk Festival, and is this your first time playing at the Folk Festival? No, I was here about 10 years ago, uh, and uh, I remember it quite well. It was, uh, I, had a, I, had a, I remember the, the, the concert I had in the acoustic tent more than the one I had on the main stage. I think, the, I think on the main stage... Uh, it was a bit late and everybody was a bit drunk. <laughs> and it may have been raining as well, I'm not sure. That is not uncommon for Newfoundland. Yeah, so I so <laughs> I'm sure everyone is crossing their fingers tonight that it's not going to be raining because it. I think it's a bit of a curse at the Folk Festival that it often rains during it. Well, I regret to say that I very often bring rain with me. So, <laughs> so in addition to coming to Newfoundland, you've traveled to many, many places all over the world. Um, and I was wondering, are there any particular places that you find yourself uh, keep going back to that have been really influential for you? Well, that's the trouble, Natalie. I, I, once I've been in a place that I quite enjoy being in, I always want to go back there. So to go back to places and go to new places uh, means even more travel. Uh, like, for instance, um, it's about time I went back to Costa Rica because I really like that place. Um, but there's loads of loads of countries I have never been in. I've got a big list of places I want to go to before I snuff it, <laughs> and uh, especially in in um, in East Asia. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'd like to. I'd really like to go to uh, to Vietnam and Laos and Cambodia. Yeah. But uh, and my wife is Japanese, so I. I go over those countries quite a lot to, 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 to stay with her or visit her parents in, in Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, and you also describe yourself as well as being a, a musician and a, a folk musician as a teller of tales. And I was wondering if you could talk a bit about that and what that means. Well, I think that I think it means um, the introductions to the songs that I that I uh, often give, people, you know, I, I'm not really aware of it myself. People say, uh, "Oh, I loved your music. I love the introductions, the stories you tell," and it, and I think, well, hmm. you know, one has to say something before a song of what it's about or or a, a, an event that uh, that you remember singing it at or or something about it, like you know, mm-hmm. and. Um, so I, yeah, it's very it's nice that people enjoy that. And part of the folk festival too is there. There are a lot of recitations and storytelling at the Newfoundland Folk Festival. Is that something you've encountered at other folk festivals that you've played at? 
Yes, I think so, yeah. I mean, uh, this, the festival here, I think, seems to have that Canadian, a little bit like uh, in Edmonton, where, um, well, I'm not sure if it's going to be like that or not, but in Edmonton, you are put on this, on a small stage, loads of small stages around, uh, and you're put on with maybe two other acts or three other acts, and you're encouraged to play along. So um, a couple of years ago, myself and Donald Lunny were, were on stage with a, a um, Hawaiian band, and we count, we, I counted him in, or he counted me in on the first number, and they were there immediately. <laughs> they had no idea what key it was in or, or how it went, but uh, they were joyfully in there and smiles all over their faces. It was very funny. And you're often described as as a folk musician or a traditional musician, but have you incorporated any other traditions as as you've traveled and encountered different types of music into your music? Or how would you describe yourself as a musician? Well, if I had to, if I had um, any number of words to do it in, I'd say that uh, yes, I I I'm, I sing traditional songs. I also I'm also a songwriter. Um, I went to uh, Bulgaria and um, the Balkans in in the late 60s and I discovered uh, there uh, Bulgarian music which is uh, in time signatures that are unknown in Ireland and uh, I brought I brought them back I mean it took me a long time to understand the bloody things myself but uh, eventually I did and then I, when I when I discovered how to play Things in in nine or eleven or thirteen eight. Uh, I um, I wanted everybody else to, to learn. You know, people would cross the road to avoid me at that point. <laughs> but uh, it, it's it's caught on a bit, and so you know, people like Mike McGoldrick and uh, Steve Cooney, to name but two, <coughs> write write tunes in in these time signatures. So I'm kind of I'm kind of proud of that. You know. And do you still incorporate those kind of musical influences into what you're working on now? Yes, yes, I do, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but before you went to Bulgaria, you were very much involved in the music scene in Ireland in the in the 60s, and could you describe what that was like? Well, what happened really was uh, about 1960, 1963, 64, 65, 66, 67, uh, all those years, the the popularity of of um, <clears throat> what I'd have to call pseudo folk music from this side of the Atlantic, the, the Kingston Trio and, and and all people like that became very popular. <coughs> Excuse me. So a lot of these it was called they were called ballad groups, and a, and a lot of them uh, appeared. And they would usually wear kind of uh, a uniform of some dis- description, and there might be a guitar player, a banjo player, and a double bass player. And uh, so I formed I formed a band <coughs> with an old friend of mine, Johnny Moynihan, and another old friend called uh, Joe Dolan, who came from Galway. And uh, we 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 didn't play we didn't play Kingston Trio. Music. We played the kind of music that we had been playing before, which was uh, mm, mainly, I mean, it was folk music. And uh, 
in this day in, in this day and age uh, people say oh it was, the band was called Sweeney's Men mm. and uh, sometimes people say oh Sweeney's Men I remember Sweeney's Men and if all the thousands of people who said that had actually come to our gigs uh, we'd, we'd probably be millionaires by now but um, we 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 had a certain popularity but uh, not not uh, I, d I don't remember it as being uh, as popular as uh, bass playing banjo playing Kingston trio type uh, mm -hmm. type so that 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 was and of course the Clancy brothers as well was uh, another uh, input into these people's repertoire and the Clancy brothers uh, for all that one might uh, s slate them they did have very good songs I mean all this kind of hype stuff was it was uh, out the window for us but uh, but the songs were good so th that uh, that was the first band I was in and um, then I went to the Balkans in 1968 and when I came back after a little while I formed a band called Planksty with uh, Christy Moore and Donald Lunny and, and the late uh, lamented piper Liam O'Flynn and, uh, and, and we were popular from day one in fact our popularity was our, our, our meteoric uh, popularity um, lasted about 18 months and then, then began to in retrospect one can say it began to kind of mm, slow down and kind of gently fall away uh, and by 1970 this was not, we formed in 1972 and by 1970 the end of 1975 we were exhausted because we, we we were working all the time. We were on the road all the time. We had no time to to rehearse or find new material. And um, I well remember the meeting where, where Liam Liam called the meeting and we knew we knew what was in the wind. And uh, he said, you know, he said um, the manager was there and the rest of the band. And he said, uh, I'd like to leave the band. He said. And we all raised our hands and said, I'd like to leave the band as well. <laughs> so it was uh, all four of us left the band at the same time. And we went, I remember we went to uh, the local pub, was a pub in Donnybrook in Dublin called uh, Madigan's, where we used to, cause, because the manager's office was just around the corner. And so we went into Madigan's and uh, we had a good old feed of drink and by the end of the night we were saying you know I wonder is this the right decision you know should we <laughs> maybe we should continue but we didn't we took a break anyway and uh, we came back we came back uh, emboldened uh, three years later what did you do in that time during that three years after well it, it was you know the the um, the relief of of not having to tour with thanks to anymore was 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 there but after a little while it was kind of oh my god what are we going to do and Paul Brady was in the band at the time and uh, Paul and myself had got, gotten on very well together and uh, we decided to, to form a duo and that became very popular as well so yeah so that was um, 1970s were good for me alright yeah. where did you tour during that time? Where do what? Where did you tour during that time with uh, those bands? Were you mostly touring in Europe, or did you come? Um, no, we never came. We never came over here yeah. uh, to this side of the water. We we, I mean, 
initially we played in in Ireland and and England and and we ke- became popular there and then we started to go to Germany and France and Italy and, and other European countries mm-hmm. uh, especially in the latter days of Planxty oh, the first Planxty we played a lot in in uh, in Germany and around there uh-huh. Switzerland uh, I was just really interested in what you said about kind of in the the 60s and 70s this pseudo folk music um and a lot of people are saying in popular culture there's a very much a resurgence especially in the u.s i would say with like bluegrass style music is really popular um i how would you define pseudo folk versus the folk and are are you seeing that now in Uh, well you know um, i've never really thought about that but the the general thing was, and we had it a lot because we didn't, we did not pander to to the audience at all, um, and of course the Dubliners were very big at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, but th- th- I remember that the co- the shout from the audience uh, very often was "Sing something we all know," and uh, and we didn't. Um, and you know there were songs that would just drive you insane because you heard them all the time, like "We're all off to Dublin in the green in the green." And uh, everybody sang that, and it was kind of, and everybody sang the, I don't know, the banks of marble and and things. Uh, they, they were all, as far as as far as I was concerned, they were all a bunch of chancers. <laughs> uh, but there were a couple of good bands. There was the the Johnsons that uh, Paul Brady and Mick Maloney were in at the time, and uh, yeah, we got on well. We liked we liked them, and we got on well with them. Uh, and one of your your great influences is um, Woody Guthrie. Mm. Uh, so you you did come to the states at at one point and visited Oklahoma. Uh, when was that? Well, that would have been about um, I think it was sometime in the in the nineties. And I I um, I was pl- I used to play in America with with um, with a band called Patrick Street. Mm. And when Patrick Street would finish their tour, quite often I'd have solo. I'd have a bit of a solo tour, and I had a gig in a place called Garden City in Western Kansas. And after that, I had nothing to do, and I thought, well, I'll, I'll get a car, and I'll go go down and visit uh, all the places that Woody had been. Like uh, he was born in Okima, Oklahoma, so I went there and and uh, checked out the. The houses that, or the house that he lived in, which I think it's still, it was still standing. I don't know if it still is now. And then I went to uh, Pampa, Texas, where he'd been in 1935 when the the great dust storm uh, hit that part of the world. And I had a most amazing experience there because, um, and I got to Pampa, which is a, a small town in in uh, in West Texas. The clouds began to race across the sky and I thought ah, is this going to be another a, a dust storm just for me and of course it wasn't it was rain in the end but I, I, uh, I got out of the car to, to, to take a picture or something like that in the town and I closed the door and as, as the door went click I realised that the engine was running the air conditioning was on and the key was in the ignition and uh, the door was locked. Uh, so I remember going, I went into a, a, a bar 
and I said in a loud voice to nobody in particular, I said, uh, anybody know how to get into a, a, a locked car? <laughs> and uh, a bunch of men went kind of, oh, well, mm, uh, no, I don't know. Do you know how to do that? And, and I was thinking, oh, God, these guys are useless. And then a woman strode up, you know, just a, a, a purposeful stride. She said, what's the trouble here? And I thought, this woman is going to get me out of jail. <laughs> and uh, so she called up the, the, the sheriff. And the sheriff of Pampa, Texas, was a typical kind of uh, overweight um, U.S. sheriff, you know. Uh, and, and he arrived with an implement to open the door. And he was working at it quite uh, solidly. And, and at the same time, the clouds are racing across the sky and something catastrophic is about to happen, or cataclysmic. And, uh, and, and I found myself actually praying, you know. I found myself saying, please, God, let him open the door. <laughs> and uh, this was followed by a click, and the door was open. So God answered my prayer. Uh, <laughs> And I got in and I drove off and the light was fantastic and the rain came pouring down. And, and that was Pampa, Texas. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and you had a very, you encountered his music um, pretty early, yeah. I guess I would say. I mean, even before your career. And could you talk a little bit about his lasting influence on? Yeah, I, I, um, I discovered Woody when I was about 15, which would have been about 1957. By which time, of course, he was incarcerated in in, uh, in a, an institution called um, oh, names um, Greystone Park in New Jersey. It was a mental institution. I mean, he had he had Huntington's disease, uh, mm. which is not a mental illness. Uh, it's a nervous uh, collapse of a collapse of the nervous system, and. Uh, but they didn't know what to do with him, so they put him in this, this place. And I used to write to him there. Uh, and, of course, it, it, Huntington's disease has this chorea, like the shaking. You, it, he couldn't write back. Mm -hmm. But the people who used to take him out on uh, weekends, who were called Bob and Sidsel Gleason, they used to write to me and say what Woody had, uh, what what they'd done that weekend and everything. And... and and it was it was great, you know. I think I'm one of the last people on the planet who, who never met him, but knew Woody Guthrie apart from not meeting him. And there was the big, the high point of my of my life, or, or certainly of my early life, was getting the Woody Guthrie newsletter. And it was just a mimeographed couple of pages came in the post, and it said uh, Woody would like to thank. And then it was. Jack Elliott, Pete Seeger, Oscar Brand, all these famous names of that time. And I, you know, I had, I just wished my name was going to be there. And at the bottom it said, and to Andy personally from Woody. <laughs> so, I mean, wow, I still got that. Uh, and, and Woody Guthrie wrote uh, quite political songs too. And uh, do you also try I to do. write? Yes, I do. Not, not, not current. I'm not very good at writing current uh, political things, um, but I, I write. I write kind of historical uh, labor things about about people that I, I uh, um, that are heroes to me. Like you know, oh God, I'm wearing Joe Hill T-shirt. That <laughs> says it all. But 
Yeah, I, I, um, I, I, once I, once I, as a fifteen-year-old, when I, when I got onto, got into Woody, I took everything. You know, I took, I took politics and uh, uh, labor unions and copied his voice and uh, copied his style. Yeah, I, I, I owe Woody a lot. And so, are, are you working on anything new now? Um, y- yes, I, I think I'm. Um, I am actually. I, I've started recording my Woody Guthrie album, which I've been threatening to do for about twenty years. <laughs> and uh, I had I had a couple of days in the studio um, recording five songs, and I haven't heard them back yet. And I'm not sure. I'm not sure what success I had uh, in those two days, but we'll see. I, I'll continue that, and uh, and I'm also uh, I don't know how this will go down with with my fans, but my mother was a musical comedy actress, and she knew all the the, the songs of of the 30s and the 40s, and she used to sing them all the time. And I'm making an album of uh, uh, old 1930s and 40s standards, like. Uh, I'll be seeing you in all the old familiar places and uh, I'm in the mood for love, that kind of thing. You know, I mean, I'm, mm-hmm. it's amazing how many uh, other musicians have done that before me. And looking, if you look up uh, any of those titles, you'd find that Bob Dylan, Rod Stewart, Brian Ferry, you'd find all these people recorded uh, those songs. So I'm... I'm a little bit chastened by that. I'm not breaking any any new ground, but uh, hopefully it'll be a better album than theirs. And maybe fans will think this is a, a great departure for you, but you actually started as a, acting yeah. as a child. Yeah, yeah, know, I was a child music. actor, yeah. Yeah, and I was brilliant, you know? I mean, and I say that with a straight face and no conceit, because all children... Uh, are great actors. I have I I've never seen a bad performance by a child in a film or on television. They're brilliant, you know. And uh, and I was as good as that. But once I was not a child anymore. Once I was about uh, fifteen, um, everything changed, and I became uh, not very good actor. But I. Because my parents had taken me out of school when I was uh, 13, I felt that I had to continue acting while they were still alive. And uh, mm-hmm. so I, I continued acting till I was about 21. And I didn't like it at all. But at the same time, of course, I was learning uh, music. And so I was able to, to give up the stage and take to the, take to the other stage. In, uh, in recording your, your Woody Guthrie album... Uh are you trying to put your own style on his songs? Is oh, very much, yeah. yeah. I mean, there will be Woody uh, influences, and and uh, and there might even even be copied things. I mean, I, I recorded. They're not all the songs I recorded uh, in the studio. Are I think three of them were actually songs he wrote, and two of them were songs that that he didn't write. That are traditional, but he recorded them. Mm. And one of them is is a song called uh, Buffalo Skinners. And in one of the verses, he sings, um, With all this fluttering talking, he raised, he built up quite a train. Some ten or twelve in number, some able-bodied men. Like, you know, and so I've copied that. 
some able-bodied man. And I, I, uh, I don't think people, I don't think people, I shouldn't say it to you really because I don't think people will notice. But uh, there are things like that that I just think, oh God, I have to do that because that's, when I, when I was learning these songs as a, as a teenager, I copied them. I, I had a perfect Oklahoma accent at the time. <laughs> I'm not going to do it with that. I'm not going to shrug that one off. <laughs> uh, and are there any other great influences that you've encountered as you've gone along in your career? Well, there are lots of them, but they're they're they're, um, they're very hard to decipher. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. a lot of people have uh, gone to make up who, what my music is, um, but I wouldn't be able to say anyone in particular was. Uh, that I listened to after Woody. Yeah. Uh, and I do like to ask, just because you've had such a long, extensive career and been so many places, uh, do you have any advice for young musicians? Or I shouldn't say young. I should just say musicians. Well, it's very difficult to break into the, the, uh, the system. If you're not known nobody's generally nobody's going to come and see you and uh, of course that there, there are the odd happenings where, where somebody becomes an overnight uh, success but it is difficult and um, I think I think it's uh, I think yeah my advice would be well just keep at it and and don't be don't be down downhearted at uh, lack of success. If you think that you're good, and if you uh, if you have a, a, a style which is um, n- new in some way, just keep keep hammering at it. One, I wrote a song called "One Moment of Success Is Worth the Whole Damn Thing," <laughs> and that pretty much sums it up it's pretty pretty much sums it up yeah <laughs> um so it looks like we are running out of time but thank you so much for coming in today and uh are, is there anything in particular you're really looking forward to being here in newfoundland no i'm, I'm looking forward to the gig tomorrow and sunday mm-hmm. um because 10 years ago i remember playing uh the the, the uh, small acoustic tent and it was it was a standout memory for me so i hope to repeat that um tomorrow and you'll you'll be doing both you're doing the main stage and the, yeah. the small stage yes i'm on the main stage on sunday so you can expect rain on sunday <laughs> <laughs> i think we're all we're all used to it here yes, so sure, we will I'm not sure. be surprised when there's rain on sunday <laughs> i can't really claim to bring to bring rain to newfoundland no no one can take that honor no. <laughs> well thank you so much thanks natalie really enjoyed it thanks i'm dale jarvis you've been listening to living heritage a production of chmr radio 93.5 in collaboration with the intangible cultural heritage office of the heritage foundation of newfoundland and labrador Find us online at ichblog.ca or on iTunes. Our Heritage Broadcast Assistant is Natalie Dignam, in partnership with the Conservation Corps Newfoundland and Labrador ECHO program. We would love to know what you think of the show. If you have a question or a suggestion for a future program, leave us a comment on the Living Heritage Podcast Facebook page, email livingheritagepodcast at gmail.com, or tweet us at HFNLCA. Thanks for listening. <laughs>